Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of God's word this morning. An Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading first from Psalm 89. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God feared in the council of the holy ones, great and awesome above all that are around him. O Lord God of hosts, Who's as mighty as you, O Lord? Your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule the raging sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered the enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it. You founded them. The north and the south, you created them. Tabor and Hermon, joyously praise your name. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand. High your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. And from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you can discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. So we continue this morning in our in-depth look at the Lord's Prayer. And today, as you can see, we're walking through line by line. Today we focus on the line, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just, you can kind of file this away as we go. Actually, the punctuation in the original language is, your will be done on earth, comma, as it is in heaven. Let me start this morning with, with a story that I'm not particularly proud of. Um, I was never a great student at, scientist. I don't, at, at science. I don't think I was ever even an average student at science. For whatever reason, I just couldn't ever get it. I went to a liberal arts college um, that required you take one science class, just one, in your four years of college in order to graduate. So I dutifully signed up for a science course every single semester of college, and then I would go to the first 10 minutes of the class and go, no, not this semester. I'll do it next semester. And all of a sudden, I'm in my senior year. I'm walking into my senior audit with a registrar, and I am completely aware of the fact that I have not taken a science class. I'm not exactly sure what I was expecting out of this meeting. Maybe they just wouldn't notice that I didn't take a science class. Maybe I'd be able to charm the registrar into just giving me a science credit. Um, Well, I guess I'm not that charming. Uh, It didn't work out. So I had to take an intensive science class over a a January term, a winter term, an intensive. And here's the thing, though. Here's the crazy thing. I graduated in December. I had my graduation day in December. I had the hat and the gown. 
I walked across the stage. They gave me a diploma holder that had a note inside of it. And the note said, you will receive your diploma on the condition of completing your final course this January. We will mail it to you. Uh, so I had functionally graduated, like, in almost every way, right? Gown and diploma. I was cutting the cake at a grad party. Heck, I was already engaged to Katie. I had been accepted into a seminary grad school. I was already, like, way out the door of that experience, right? And yet there I was in January in a freshman chemistry class at 22 years old. It was a very strange month of this sort of in-between when I'm experiencing my post-college reality and it's a foregone conclusion, but I'm just not there yet. I'm still in the reality of that college life. This is an example of what Pastor Joy talked about last week when she talked about the already not yet kingdom. The already but not yet reality of the kingdom of God. Last week we learned about praying, your kingdom come. That is not some vain hope that God's kingdom might come someday. Or a statement that his kingdom has already fully come and been fully realized because just turn on the news you know that that's not true but it's that we're in this in-between already but not yet space when we pray your kingdom come we are seeking that God's kingdom his reality would invade this earthly kingdom that we experience and and our reality might turn more and more into his reality But then, as Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, he even takes it a little bit further. He says, not only pray that God's kingdom come, but we ask also that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's vital for us to understand what God's kingdom is. Go back and listen to that last week if you missed it. But we also have to understand what we're doing in the midst of this already but not yet space of the kingdom. So just by praying, your will, God, be done on earth as it is in heaven, we realize that Jesus did not take part in a hostile takeover where God ruthlessly invades and conquers and replaces empire and the kingdoms of this earth, and all of a sudden it's just heaven on earth, it's total bliss, and it's only God's will for us. On numerous occasions, the disciples of Jesus actually asked him to do this. It was one of their favorite questions of of him. Questions like, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now, Jesus? Are you going to do the hostile takeover now? Are you going to replace the kingdoms of this earth with your kingdom now? Like, why don't you do that now? They ask this question all the time, even after Jesus was resurrected. In fact, it was the very last thing they said to Jesus before his ascension. was like, are you coming to do this now? Let's do this. They expected his kingdom to supersede and take over the kingdoms of this earth. And that is clearly what first century people who believed in the kingdom of God believed. So if you had some sort of concept of the kingdom of God, you believed in that idea, you had a pretty firmly established picture of what that looked like. They thought it would look something like this, if you look up at the screen. That there's this current age that we live in right now, and it's defined by sin and death and evil and suffering But when the Messiah comes, there's going to be this this point of decision, right? That the Messiah comes, and that age, the current age, is going to completely pass away. And this new age of the kingdom, God, is going to begin. And what's that going to be? It's going to be peace and joy and goodness and just total bliss, right? But as Joy creatively communicated last week, Jesus is repeatedly clear that the kingdom of God has been inaugurated. No question about that. It has come. 
but it hasn't come in its fullness yet. The kingdom of God is like a seed underneath the ground that's doing its subversive work underneath, waiting to come to life. So instead, I think this is the model that Jesus actually talked about. The Messiah has come, but the old world hasn't passed away yet. Instead, the age to come is upon us. It's bleeding into our reality and creating this already not yet space between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus, which we anticipate still. So we have to understand the implications of where we're living, that little box in the middle there. In his new book, uh, Hope in Times of Fear, the always supremely helpful Tim Keller puts it this way. If we overstress the already of the kingdom to the exclusion of the not yet, then we will expect quick solutions to problems and we will be dismayed by suffering and tragedy. But we can likewise overstress the not yet of the kingdom to the exclusion of the already. We can be too pessimistic about personal change. We can withdraw from engaging the world, too afraid that we might be polluted by it. And this is where I want to land this morning. When we pray that line, for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, what we're doing is we're basically jumping on a tightrope balancing act between the already and the not yet. The current age that we are in and the age to come. When the disciples asked that question of Jesus, they were basically saying, we don't want to balance anymore. (laughs) We don't want to do this tightrope balancing anymore anymore. Why don't you just end this current age, start the new one, let's be done with that. But Jesus always answers these questions by the disciples by inviting them, come balance with me. Join me in my kingdom work. So instead, we pray, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let your will be done in in our reality as it is in yours. You see, the kingdom of God is not a hostile takeover, but instead it's a slow drip. It's a subversive infestation where more and more of the will of God is done here on earth. And here's the thing. We are invited to be a part of it. Every single one of us, we're invited to be a part of that. We as followers of Christ, we don't just wait for God to come and make all things new. We actually get to bring heaven here on earth in in small ways. We cannot remain idle in this in-between that we are in. When I was taking that freshman chemistry class at 22 years old, I still had to pass that class, right? It still counted. And trust me, I was very, very tempted to coast at that point in my life. But I knew I needed to faithfully do the work in that in-between space. But I would also say it would have been totally silly for me to act like that was the most important thing in the world in my life at that point and to work myself up into a frenzy over that class because my graduation had already happened. It was a foregone conclusion, right? I'd already had a taste of that. It was a balance. So too is living in that already not yet kingdom of God. So it's fair to ask the question this morning, okay, but how can I know the will of God if I'm supposed to be partnering with it? Great question. I'm glad you asked. Um, Because it's a dangerous proposition to assume the will of God. And there are innumerable examples of people who think that they're doing doing God's will, but they end up doing something that is not a part of God's will at all. 
I remember reading a story several years ago of a, of a, a fanatically religious college student who murdered his college roommate because his college roommate was dabbling in witchcraft and he said, I've got to purge my room of this. Right? I've known stories of a few parents who have adopted numerous special needs children out of a, a heart, a sense of obedience to God's will, only to see their marriages suffer or tailspin into addiction or even fail because of the stress. I know uh, of, a, of a woman who went to Standing Rock Indian Reservation several years ago to, to protest the pipeline installation on that sacred Sioux land. And she went as a self-proclaimed Christian environmentalist in a desire to do God's will. It was after those protests and that solidarity stand ended that we saw the images of dumpster trucks full of garbage left behind by those people who were seeking a safer reality for those people. You see, so often we want to do God's will. We have a heart to do God's will. We want to see his kingdom come here on earth, but we fumble and we fail. How can we partner with God so that his will would truly be done in this time of already not yet that we find ourselves in? Well, a good place to look is our text again from Romans 12. Verse 2, don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can discern what? What God's will is, the will of God. What is good and acceptable and pleasing. Paul's writing to a church in Rome that was actively in this sort of balancing act of the present age and the age to come. They were under persecution in many ways. And his words become so instructive. I mean, if we want to balance and and, and live well in this in-between, we cannot take our cues from the world. That's what Paul is saying. We cannot take our cues from the wisdom of this world. Instead, we need to look to the wisdom of the age to come, of the second coming, best laid out for us in Scripture to inform our living now so that we can be fully in this world, but not conformed by it or to it. Our minds are then renewed as we think about these kingdom values of God And that transforms us from the inside out. Paul is actually speaking to Greek people who think about this way that that this is not just an intellectual exercise, but it transforms us from the inside out so that we can do God's will, which is pleasing and perfect and partners in God's heavenly kingdom come here on earth. I think there's good news in all this, to be honest with you. I, I see a desire by many people in in recent years to partner in God's will being done, even people who don't profess faith in Jesus Christ. As I look at those kingdom values, I see people who are striving for them. I don't see a whole lot of people in my life who are just sitting back, who are coasting, who are hoping to get a passing grade in this class called life. They want to partner with something larger. They want to live well. They want to make positive changes in the world. I see this narrative, especially for our young kids who are here, this sense of go be a world changer, make a positive impact. Many equate God's, the call to God's will with the clarion call of the word justice. That's sort of the, the word du jour, isn't it? The word that's become ubiquitous in its use. It's everywhere. We're confronted with the call for legal justice and and racial justice and economic justice and environmental justice and most of all social justice. And I think that that's that, that heart longing in many ways to see a little bit of heaven here on earth. 
Now, we have people in this church are, that are upset that we don't speak enough about the idea of social justice here. Maybe some of you are sitting here this morning and you're upset that I'm talking about it at all. Maybe you see it as a way in which Christians are being conformed to the world's sort of vernacular here. But I want to make something clear as we talk about seeking the will of God. Make no mistake, social justice is a biblical kingdom idea. The well-being of our neighbors, particularly those who are poor and marginalized, is very, very near to the heart of God. Read your Bibles. It's there. I've seen particularly our younger generation operate with passion around social issues and the idea of social change. And I want to make sure that we don't discourage those who are energized and feel called to this important work. Adults who are here, let's not discourage, let's encourage the heart behind so many of our young people in this. I pray every single day, especially for you young people are here, I pray every single day that this passion might develop in young men and women so that they might give their lives to following Jesus in love of their neighbors, especially those who are in the most need. So let's champion that desire for a little taste of heaven on earth. And those of you who are sitting here, here today and feel that sort of pull towards the idea of justice in your hearts, let me encourage you to continue that balancing act, the realities of the justice that God calls us to. I want to do just a little word study to help with this. The Hebrew word for justice is tzedek. Isn't that a beautiful word? Remember Hebrew, you, you read from right to left, okay? Tzedek, that's the word for justice. It, and the reason I bring this up is because this is the word that consistently surrounds God's, talk about God's kingdom in scripture. God being king, God ruling, God reigning. Tzedek shows up over and over again in the Old Testament and its Greek counterparts in the New Testament show up over and over again. Tzedek can be uh, dynamically translated as a straight or true way. A straight or a true way. So tzedek is justice, walking straight and true paths towards what is right. But here's what you need to know about the Hebrew language. It's almost never one-to-one, -one, okay? It's always more complicated than that. All Hebrew nouns and verbs actually have a three-root, uh, three-consonant root. So the consonants here are tzade, dalet, and kof. Tzade, dalet, and kof, which is like T, Z, D, and Q, if you go right to left, okay? And then those little points there are vowels. But the root stays the same. Vowels are added to give meaning. It's called a triliteral root system. And it is super complicated, but it's also, like, incredibly beautiful. <laughs> um, so tzedek is justice. So this is justice. But if you change some of those vowels, you get the word tzedekah, which is the word for righteousness. Righteousness. And what does righteousness mean? Righteousness means straight or true person, a person who is, who is true, who is on the right path, God, God's path. So a righteous person is someone who is living a life that is pleasing to God in their words and their actions and their intentions. Here's the thing about the triliteral root system. It means that these two words cannot be separated from one another. A righteous person, a person who is seeking God in their hearts and their very lives from the inside out, is going to do the work of justice. And a person who is just, who has a burning heart for justice, can't have that without a burning heart for righteousness too. 
not only are they related and married to one another, but they are interchangeable. So if you're reading your Old Testament, every time you read the word righteousness, you can put in justice. Every time you see the word justice, you can put in righteousness as well. Why am I so excited about this? Because if we seek to do the will of God, we have to have both of these things. And Scripture is telling us plainly. You can't do justice and live an immoral, crooked, and two-faced life. And you can't consider yourself a righteous person who's following God if you neglect the needs of the poor and the messed up systems that are built to keep people there. I read part of Psalm 89. Listen to verse 10 again. You probably weren't listening for this, but now you're going to really be listening for it. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. The very foundations of the throne of the kingdom of God that we are seeking would come and and, and invade where we are. The place from which God, through Jesus Christ and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, does his will on earth. The thing that holds that up is what? Righteousness and justice. They go together. They are married to one another. In other words, this is the balance. This is the balance. In one way, we we look forward to the age to come when all things will be made right. We fix our eyes on Jesus and his righteousness. We pattern our lives after him and let it lead us to upright and true and straight living. We seek to be righteous in everything. We, We take our cue from Jesus for our words and our actions and our charity and our sexuality and our values and our desires and what we do on a Friday night and what we do on a Sunday morning, we cling to that relationship with Jesus, with our lives, and we recognize that it's God that sets the agenda, not us. We align ourselves with Jesus. We refuse to conform to this world. We live righteously as we look forward to the age to come. But what else do we do? We do not neglect the current age that we live in. We invest here. We refuse to coast. We don't aim for a passing grade. We make change in people's lives. We pull people out of poverty. We address systems that disenfranchise and oppress people. We know and love and serve the poor and needy. We humbly listen to the stories of one whose beautiful God-created skin is a different hue than our own. We feed the hungry and love the unlovable. And for God's sake, we care for the widow and the orphan and the immigrant, and the prisoner. Yes, an age is coming when those things will not be anymore, but we aren't there yet. And this is what God calls us to. Righteousness and justice. Personal piety and social justice or social concern. These go hand in hand. True and upright people walking down true and upright paths and creating true and upright paths for others. I believe that the evil one is, is working overtime to try and convince us that these things really don't go together. They should be separate. They should be separate. Maybe even opposed to one another. Let me tell you, that's wildly unbiblical. Justice is so often given a bad name by those who want to do good but they don't know Jesus, they, they, they oppose God with their words and their actions, and they know not and care about a righteous and holy God, and therefore they miss Jesus completely. 
And likewise, fervent, prayerful, moral life is often given a bad name because it neglects the need of neighbor and knows not or cares not about God's call to justice and therefore misses Jesus completely as well. Maybe if we took our passions together and we said, I I have a passion for personal piety and I'm going to surround myself with people who have a passion for the call to justice or vice versa, then we learn from one another and maybe, just maybe, we would aid each other in bringing a little more heaven on earth, don't you think? And let's not lose sight of the fact that Jesus is king in this already not yet reality just as he balanced so beautifully better than anyone has ever balanced in his life between the current age and the age to come between justice and righteousness between a deep well of personal relationship with God the father and an outpouring of love for others he is the Lord over the space that we are in here as well and righteousness are the foundations of his throne not ours (laughs) that means of course that when we hunger and thirst for righteousness and we seek true justice, we are unable to do so without the God of righteousness and justice. When we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what we're essentially saying is, God, bring your reality to our reality, and by your grace, Lord, would you allow us as your followers to be some small part of your kingdom coming? We need your help. For your will to be done, if left to us, we are unable. We're going to goof it up. But God, you can do this. You can do this. May it be so for us. So it's time for us to pray that prayer. So you can see I've put a place to pause after our line for today for some additional prayers. Would you pray this prayer with me, nice and slow? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, Lord, we ask for your will to be done. The foundations of the throne of your kingdom, Lord, are righteousness and justice. So would you make us a righteous people who value you so deeply, Lord, who who have a burning desire in our hearts to know you, to pray to you, to be in your word, to live in a way that is pleasing and honoring to you, Lord Jesus. And would you give us eyes to see the places in this world that are crooked, Would you give us a way to make them straight? Would you help us to see ways in which we might do your justice? Lord, we don't want to be righteous people who don't do anything with it. And we don't want to be people who seek justice while leaving you behind. Instead, Lord, would you teach us what it means to live in this already, not yet time that we are in with you, Jesus, as our pattern, balancing these things beautifully. We know imperfectly, but Lord, would you guide us and lead us as we balance the current age and the age to come. So Lord, we continue in praying by saying, give us this day our daily bread 
and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the power.